Hey, it's Damon. I just wanted to say a quick thank you to Kate, a new supporter of the Who Am I Really podcast on Patreon. Anytime I get a notification of a new supporter, it's like a little fist bump saying, keep going. Do me a favor, listen until the end of today's episode to hear what our guest, Debbie, says about how the show has helped her navigate some of her feelings. If you feel the same way Kate and Debbie do, I'd love it if you would support the show at patreon.com slash W-A-I really. Okay, I just wanted to express a little gratitude to Kate and every supporter of every kind over the years. Thank you. In the end, his father did call me and he basically said, okay, it was more than a one-time thing. It happened multiple times. And I think there was some crossover and his wife would have a problem with that is what it comes down to. And now the lie has been going on for 53 years. He said that she would leave him. And I said, well, at this point, I think she knows who you are. Take that how you need to. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and my guest today is Debbie. She lives outside of Portland, Oregon. Her parents adopted her and her brother too soon after tragedy struck their family. Debbie found her roots in Kansas, in a small town where the grapevine unexpectedly spread news fast that she was in town. A sad loss oddly gave Debbie a chance to connect more deeply with her birth mother. But her birth father only told half of his family about Debbie, creating a minefield of secrets in this era of consumer DNA testing. This is Debbie's journey. Debbie grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada, with one adopted brother. Their adoptive mother is also an adoptee, but they didn't discuss her adoption much at all. Outside of Debbie's brother and mom, there was no one else around to identify with as adoptees. While Debbie always knew she was adopted, and eventually she did meet her biological mother, she admitted she never actually processed what the intricacies of adoption really are until she reached her late 40s. We started off with how Debbie got along with her parents and with her brother. You know, we are all kind of from a different tribe, really. I mean, it's how I would describe it. There, it was a good family. It was really close with my maternal parents. It was really close with my dad. My mom and I didn't get along very well. Not that it was bad, but there just wasn't that like mother-daughter click that I really wanted. And I was sort of more mature than she was. Even when I was younger, I was more mature. And as I grew up, I found out some of her life story and and kind of understanding why she was the way she was. But my brother and I, you know, not that close. We're we're still connected. You know, he we're in our early fifties now, and um, but just there's just not a lot in common, I guess I would say. So as I was preparing for this, just like thinking about. Like, what is that one thing that I always sort of wanted? And I think it was connection is the one word I would use. 
Um, it's like, just, you didn't really feel that I felt it with my dad growing up. There was a strong bond with us and with my maternal grandparents, but not my mom, not my brother. How did you bond with your dad? You know, I'm not really sure. I mean, we just always had a connection and I could talk to him about things and, and I wasn't so much like that with my mom. There was a lot of kind of just judgmental stuff. Oh, you, you don't believe that, that sort of thing. It's like, well, no, no, I do. Well, no, you don't like wanting to tell me what I thought. Whereas I think my dad let me, you know, have my feelings on things and it was okay to be different and that sort of thing. So. Yeah. That's cool. That this difference in validating your curiosity. Yeah. It was just always easier with him. I'm, I, I'm not really sure why. I did find out when I was about 10 that my parents had lost a child um, about three months before I was born. It had a baby and she was full term and she had pneumonia and she passed away within two or three days. And when my mom went back to her OB for, you know, the regular postnatal checkups, and I think she'd had a miscarriage before that as well she let the doctor know that they were probably going to adopt. And he said, oh, I have another patient who's looking to put a baby up for adoption. And that's how I came to be. So my parents adopted me almost exactly three months after they had the loss of a child. And my mom was adopted and didn't process that for the times either. So I think a lot of that came into play with and I've had some therapy around this now, but it came into play with the relationship my mom and I had. That's and, you know, nowadays you would never be allowed to adopt a child if you just lost one three months earlier. So I think just just a lot of just stuff that she never, ever processed in her lifetime came into play. Debbie was a happy, curious kid growing up. She was a typical firstborn, subscribing to the stereotypical things she was supposed to do, staying in her lane, doing what she was supposed to do, getting validation from knowing stuff that she was supposed to know. And I think that comes from that root of being adopted. I look at my kids and they don't have that at all. They're just, they don't need that validation, which I sort of love because I've all, you know, I've always needed it. And as I've gotten older, I've definitely stopped needing that at different points in time. And now that, you know, I'm over 50, I don't need it at all. But it, it's interesting to think about the things I thought about growing up and then the things that my friends who aren't adopted, like things that weren't even on their radar that, that I was thinking about that they weren't. Can I just ask quickly, how did you find out when you were young that your parents had lost a child? How did that come about? <laughs> My mom and my brother and I, we were just, we were watching TV and my mother had taken like a box out of the closet of our office or a couple boxes. And we were just kind of going through them and we were, you know, probably watching like an Elvis movie or something. And, and I find this birth certificate with the footprints on it. And it, it said her name and the date she was born and the year she was born. And I'm looking at it going, oh, this is just three months older than me. Like who, who is, who is this? And I said to my mom, mom, who is this person? And I said her name and uh, my mom was kind of engrossed in the TV and, and she looked at me and she said, what? I said, who is this? And I held up the birth certificate and she said, give me that. 
And she just like snatched it away and walked out of the room. And I was like, okay. And the next day she actually came back to my brother and I and told us, um, you know, oh, that was the, a, a baby that your dad and I had before you guys were born. And, and she passed away and, you know, that's why we adopted you guys. And, and I said, oh, you know, and I, it took me a while to understand that really and take that in. And um, that was really the only thing that was said to us. And I did ask questions much later like in my, you know, probably 20s and 30s. And I had another friend who'd had an infant loss who was going to some grief classes that I went along with her on. And I told my mom, you know, you really should go to this. I think it would help you. She's like, oh, no, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to talk about it. And at one point, you know, I would kind of prompt her with things and ask her questions that she really didn't want to answer. But she said, you know, I didn't really think about it after you came. It's like we lost her and then you were there and you took her place. And I didn't think about it after that. And that's interesting. And I'm sure, you know, therapists would have a lot to say about that. Yeah. yeah. I had talked to my dad about it. My parents ended up getting divorced when I was 16. And and I did spend a lot of time with my maternal grandparents back in Kansas at different times. And they were shocked that my parents had never really talked to us about it. And my grandparents brought me to her, you know, gravesite. They're like, you, they've never brought you? No, no, they've never brought me. But in talking with them, my mom seemed different when she was younger, just a lot more bold. And my mom was afraid of a lot of things. And just talking to my dad, I said, did she change over the years? Because it seems like maybe she had like a slow nervous breakdown or something. And, and he said, yeah, you know, I think there, there was a change for sure. But, you know, at that in those times, the late 60s, early 70s, those things weren't really talked about. Yeah. And how could there not be a change? You know, you've, oh, yeah. You know, right. Received and carried this baby and delivered her only to lose her. Must have been just right. heartbreaking. And that well, is devastating. Yeah. That's just, that's unreal. I, I can't conceive of yeah. anybody not changing after something. As exactly. As that. Exactly. But it's also yeah. interesting to hear, as you've alluded to, the fact that you were then placed in their home only a short three months later. There was an immediate transference of yeah. emotion, yeah. right, and right. love and attention from the loss to nurturing and raising you. Right. But then also maybe subconsciously holding back a little, too, because I'm not that child. That's right. Yeah. Right. You know, with, with, that's exactly what I was going to say with without acknowledging the loss. Right. There was, yeah, there for was sure. Very. It sounds like only, you know, three months isn't a long time for something as no as uh, heavy devastating as that. Exactly. And so, yeah, for I mean, it's great that you had an opportunity to go to, you know, a home, I guess. But it, it, it just you're right today. That wouldn't have been something that would go through, I would hope, because there's too much happening right. in that home, in exactly. their minds, in their hearts uh, to, you know, set you up for success. It's just really tough. So exactly. Yeah. Wow. That's really crazy. And you found out at 10. Yeah. But I think looking back, like there always seemed to be some sort of elephant in the room, you know, like there was just something that wasn't making sense. And, and I think that kind of helped me go, oh, okay. Now I get it. It's funny how your intuition picks up on stuff like that and you can't put a finger on it. It's just looming in the air. 
and yeah, and, and just then when someone says something, you go, "Oh, this must be what I've been feeling." Exactly. So wait, let me go back yeah. for a second. You said it took me a while to process the loss that your parents had been through. It sounds like there was a day, mm-hmm. when it, like a time when it just kind of hit you what this really meant. What did you? How did you process that? When did it hit you that, like, oh wow, this is what this means? Gosh, that's a good question. I mean, I think it probably took a number of years. I like what it really meant. I probably knew very quickly, but but understanding the intricacies of it. I mean, even some intricacies, honestly, I went to an adoptee competent therapist a couple of years ago and she helped me understand my mom more and, and that loss. So, I mean, I was probably 50 at that point. So, you know, some of these things you don't, your brain can't process until there's a certain maturity, you know, and, and life, you know, life has happened to you and you understand that things aren't so black and white and there's a lot of gray and that's that's really interesting. So now I'm going to follow up with when did you decide, what was the catalyst for you deciding you were going to take action to try to search for your biological relative? I always knew I was going to do it. I was born in Kansas, which is an open adoption state, open birth certificate. You can get your original birth certificate when you turn 18. And I always knew that would happen. And I had that information probably from when I was seven on, you know, reading Dear Abby, she would talk about joining these, you know, the Soundex reunion and you can put your name in. I was like, I don't need to do that. I just need to contact Kansas. And um, I really wasn't ready at 18, busy with life and college and all that. And then I graduated college and probably was going into the next kind of phase of my life and just thought, oh, let's just do this. And the timing of it turned out to be kind of amazing in, in a sad way, but great. I, I sent away for it one like August. I got it in September. And just to back up, I'd had like a little health scare, which I think might have at that same time. So I think that might have kind of helped me go, oh, I need to really get this health information, if nothing else. So I got the birth certificate. I was able to go look up my bio mom's last name. It was a small little town in Kansas. There was only one other family with that name. I assumed it was her dad. And, And it was. And I had a friend call. And... You know, now it's like, oh gosh, my friend, you know, like lied to them, but she got my bio mom's phone number and I called her that night. Wow. Yeah. And it just so happened that I was going to be in Kansas. I was living in LA at the time. I was going to be in Kansas a month later for my grandparents' 65th wedding anniversary. So we spoke and, and it was great. And she wanted to meet me and she had told her husband about me already. And she had two kids that she hadn't told, but was going to. And they were both like, I don't know, maybe 19 and 21 at the time or 22. So they were older and everyone kind of took it in stride. I mean, I think it was a shock, but they, they took it in and they were willing to meet me. And anyway, so I met them and that has always been really lovely. Even her husband was always really lovely to me. But yeah, a couple months later, my grandfather passed away very suddenly so I went back to help my grandmother kind of just go through the house and, you know, maybe not get rid of things right now, but let's like look at the situation. So I went back and lived with my grandmother for about four months 
and got to spend some time with my bio mom and her kids and her family, which was, which was great. Cause I, you know, living on the West coast really wouldn't have had that opportunity. Yeah, no, you're right. That's oddly, sadly fortuitous, you know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Can you just take me back to this conversation with your mom for the first time? So you've, you're, friend you said helped you get your birth mother's phone number is that correct yeah she called my my grand my birth grandparents and she said she was a friend from high school and can she get her number and even though she my bio grandmother kind of questioned it she still gave it to her which today would never happen no one would give out those numbers but it did and and i called her and you know, I was ready to vomit the whole time, but she, I had, I had had another friend whose mom had put a baby up for adoption. And I had asked her like, what would your mom want this child to say to her when she called? Like, what would be okay? What wouldn't? What are the questions, you know, like she would be okay with answering. And she asked her mom and her mom gave me some things to say. So I had those things written down, but once I got through those, (laughs) I didn't know what else to say. But we had a really great conversation, probably an hour or more, the first conversation. And and I learned a lot. I was shocked to know that she never saw me. She had gone to like a woman's home towards the end of her pregnancy. So no one except the immediate family knew really what was going on. Mm -hmm. And she was 19 when she had me. And it was, you know, a rough time. And she said, I couldn't look at you. I couldn't see you if I and give you away. You know, it was interesting. She'd asked me what color my hair was. And I was shocked because I had very bright red hair when I was born. And and I thought, what do you mean you don't know what color my hair is? That had never crossed my mind that she wouldn't, you know, hold me or see me or anything like that. Wow. That's really fascinating. And it's, I can imagine how challenging that decision is if she had the decision. Some people were not offered an mm-hmm. opportunity to see the child. If they, if the woman, if she's coming from a home as basically one of the girls who went away and goes yeah. into the hospital, there's a machine that goes in, that starts churning when she walks in, right? And they know that baby is going into the adoption right. process. And it's entirely possible that they may have said, when this child is delivered, just, you know, whisk it away to, you know, the, the, care area and she might not have mm-hmm. had an option, but I can see how it would have also crossed her mind. You know, I would like to see the child, but no, I can't, I can't do that because I know I will get attached. It will too, it would be too hard, too difficult. And it's fascinating, as you said, that she didn't have any concept of how you looked because of that right. process. That's really interesting. Yeah. 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 And especially given that you had, you, as you, I think you said, bright red hair, like that's a very yeah. stark, unusual trait for a person, and for her not to know that—that's just really interesting. Yeah, that was that was actually really shocking to me. Debbie said that at the time of their first connection, she didn't want to make her birth mother feel uncomfortable, so she didn't ask about her conception. But the woman did give Debbie her birth father's name. Toward the end of that year, when her grandmother was going to be moving out of Kansas, thus eliminating her need to return to that state. Debbie reached out to contact her birth father. The man visited her in Las Vegas, sharing details about Debbie's conception that were more than she needed, she said, kind of TMI from her perspective. Staying with Debbie's birth mother, I wondered how their relationship was going forward. 
You know, I think it was really great. You know, it's probably the honeymoon period, but, you know, she was very accepting and we, we both called, you know, each other. She sent me a Christmas present. Like I was, you know, I still have that bracelet. And every year she would send me a Christmas present. And, you know, we talked probably once a month for many, 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 many years. And when my kids were young, my youngest was about a year and a half. And my older son was maybe three, three and a half. I wanted my kids to have that connection with cousins, you know, and family. And and my husband is an only child. And, you know, my brother doesn't have any children. So there's there's no real cousins. And I thought, oh, let's let's get together. Can we come back and visit? I probably actually just invited myself now, now if I really look back on it. But they were like, yeah, come on. So I brought the two kids. They were little. My half-sister had kids who were like right in the same age, slightly older. And I look back and I think it was a great trip. Got to bond with my half-sister and there was like a, a really good connection there. And we stayed in touch. And, and then as time went on, my bio mom's husband became ill. I think he was probably starting to get sick when I was there. But it was a long, I think, journey for them. And as that went on, like she would call less and less. And and then it was just me calling. And, and honestly, for the last probably 10 years, it's just been me who was called. Mm. And I said to her, you know, you need to call me sometimes. And oh, I think about that, but you're so busy and I don't want to bother you. And it's like, well, you're, you don't bother me. And if I can't, if I can't talk at that moment, I'll call you back. Right. But I think she just maybe got out of the habit of it in life. And, you know, I think she's got some health issues now. So really probably in the last five years, because I've cut back on my keeping up on it mm-hmm. because it's a two way street. We, we, I think we talk when I call her on her birthday once a year. Wow. We, you know, we are on Facebook, so I see what's going on and they see what's going on. But, you know, life is kind of and distance have gotten in the way. Yeah. And that makes me sad. And and I wish it were different, but I'm I can't really do much to change it as I'm still kind of in the muck of life and teenagers and, mm-hmm. you know, all of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's challenging with, you know, there's an expression, life gets in the way, and it's, you have your existing set of responsibilities and goals and, right. you know, the trajectory of your life, and it can be very much disrupted is not the right word, but it is, you know, disrupted with yeah. this massive relationship that is in, incredibly intimately personal and that you've been, yeah. you know, sort of wanting and wanting to know more about this other person. And and my sense is that you kind of, people sort of check the box. They go, mm-hmm. oh, well, I'm glad to know she's okay. I, I really, uh, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, I've thought about that. Yeah, because you haven't had a life together, you've sort of, it's almost like two like atoms colliding, right? They just boom, explosion. And there's all these emotions in this big honeymoon period. And, and, you know, you ask each other a bunch of questions about each other and you visit and things like that. And then the energy fades away. And right. Because you're not having shared experiences and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I, I don't think there's any ill will at all between bio mom and her family and myself. It's just, 
we're just not on the same plane, yeah. really. Yeah. Yeah. How, how was it getting to know your siblings? How many do you have and how was the sort of introduction and getting to know them? Yeah. So on bio mom's side, I have a half sister and a half brother. And I think that's been fine. My, I'm not, you know, even when I was super close with my half sister, not that I wasn't close with my half brother, but there's, we're just very different. And, you know, uh, even though I've got like farm in my blood, apparently for generations, (laughs) I was raised in a city and, and it's, you know, it's just a little bit different. And I'm, you know, I'm, we speak a little bit of a different language, but he's lovely. And I've met his wife and they don't have any kids, but you know, my half sister and I, you know, we stayed connected for a couple of years after the visit and had hoped to take all our kids to Disneyland together, but you know, then things happen and it, and it doesn't proceed. And then I, on my bio father's side, I have a brother and two half sisters. I've met my half brother. My half sisters don't know about me. Really? Yeah. When, yeah, it's interesting. So I met my bio father maybe a year after I met my bio mom. I'd had his name, but I really, I don't know. I'd always kind of had my bio mom in my mind and he was sort of not an afterthought, but it just didn't require that at the moment. Mm -hmm. But then when my grandmother was moving from Kansas, I thought, oh, I need to work on this. You know, if he wants to meet me, this is his chance. So I wrote him a letter. He called me, you know, like 6 a.m. my time and was just like, this Debbie? Yep. Well, okay. You're coming to Kansas. Yep. Okay. When do we get together? All right. I guess we're meeting. So we did meet. We met at the Greyhound track and I guess that was a hobby. He raced Greyhounds and we met, we talked. He was, I never really pictured him in my mind. And as I was getting out of the car to go meet him, I was like, gosh, what's he look like? What am I thinking? He, you know, also asked, you know, questions, questions about myself, asked me questions about, I told him I met bio mom and he asked me questions about her family and wanted to know, you know, are they, where do they work? That kind of thing. And turns out my half sister worked at a place that my paternal half brother had worked at. Your maternal half sister worked at a place your paternal half brother worked at. Right. That's fascinating. Wow. Right. And I, you know, being from, a, you know, a bigger city, I don't really realize those implications of sort of small town life mm-hmm. and how everybody's connected. Mm-hmm. And um, we met, he said, oh, I'd, I'd like to maybe come and visit you. I said, yeah, great. Okay. And went on my day. I was moving my grandmother out of Kansas, so I had a lot on my plate. And I had actually not told my bio mom I was meeting him. I wanted to kind of see how it went before I let her know. Mm-hmm. And I was at my grandmother's place packing things up. And there's a phone call. My grandmother says, it's for you. And I said, okay. I answer the phone. And it's my paternal half-brother saying, hi, Debbie. This is Mike. And I want to meet you. And I, I said, oh, my gosh. Okay we can do that sometime. And he said, no, I want to do that before you leave. Okay, great. I hung up the phone and I thought, how did he get this number? Because I'd not given my bio father, my grandmother's number. But then it was just too much. I had too much on my plate, too much to think about. I just walked away. 
a few hours later, my bio mom called. We're talking for a little bit. And then she says, so I heard you met your dad today. And I'm thinking my dad, you know, my dad that I was raised with. And then I thought, oh, you mean my bio father? Oh, yeah, I did. How did you hear about that? And it's like a string of people, basically. And Gordon went back to his house, told his son, showed him the letter I'd written to him, told his son and said, you might know her sister. And he did. His best friend is was my half-sister's boyfriend's brother. His best friend was your half-sister's boyfriend's brother. Wow. Man, yes. that small-town dynamic, I tell you. Seriously. Yeah. And so he called the best friend, who called the brother, who called, you know, who, and eventually got to my half-sister. And my half-sister called my bio mom and said, hey, this, this guy's looking for Debbie. And he says that he's her half-brother. And my bio mom said, oh, I think it's okay to give the number. So that's how, just probably three hours later, he was calling me. Mm. That's unreal. So kind of, yeah, yeah, it, it was. So he and I met and he was lovely and super excited to meet me and, you know, told me that I looked like a couple of his aunts. And we talked about keeping in touch and sending pictures and blah, blah, blah. And I did all of that. All the things I said I would do, I did. And he didn't do any of the things he said he was going to do. Oh, no. And I thought, okay. And um, Gordon came out to visit me just a couple months later in Las Vegas. He, we had a, we had a good time. I thought he was just coming for two or three days and he came for five. And I said, you know, where does everybody think you are if your, your wife doesn't know about me? Cause he told me he, he hadn't decided yet if he was telling her. And he said, they all think I met a greyhound thing. So we had a good time. I mean, it was, we got to know each other. He's a little bit of a character. But, you know, it was fine. I, I didn't feel like a really strong connection like I did with my bio mom. That that just might be a, a girl thing. Yeah. But he, I couldn't really call him. He would call me. And he called me often. And we would talk. And for what it was, it was good. He called me at one point, you know, like after midnight his time, a little toasted. He was very upset with his younger daughter because she was 21. She had the same boyfriend since she was 16. They were engaged. And she was moving in with him, living in sin. And I said, you realize you're telling your illegitimate child this. Right. Like, I am not going to have much compassion for you. And that was like, I don't know, a point in time to me that, that I was like, yeah, you know, he's just not like thinking in a logical manner to me. And there's just some allowances he's giving himself that, I don't know. He's just not being honest with himself in yeah. some ways. And as time went on and we continued to talk, he wasn't telling his daughters. And, but he said he would at some point. He said, I will at some point. Okay, great. And his youngest daughter eventually ended up getting married in Las Vegas. So he came out and he called me. He was at the rental car place and it was literally around the corner from my house. So I went and met him there for maybe 20 minutes. And he'd already on the phone had said, you should come to the wedding. It's at one of the chapels, the you know, many chapels in Las Vegas. And I told him on the phone, I said, oh, well, do, do the girls know about me? Oh, no, no. Well, 
I'm not going to go to somebody's wedding. I don't know. <laughs> and even as we were sitting at the rental car place, he said, well, I told the boys about you, meaning he told my half sisters, like one was already married, her husband, and he told the, the husband to be about me. And he, he said, oh, if you see a beautiful redhead in the back of the church, you know, that's, that's my other daughter. And he said, you should come. And I said, but let me get this straight. So now all the men in your family know, but none of the women. And he said, well, and he kind of chuckled. He goes, yeah, I guess so. And I said, is that because when they do find out, because you know they will, you want to kind of spread that around and not be the only one getting in trouble? I'm, I'm not understanding. And he, he thought that was funny. So I, I wasn't super thrilled. And I think we talked one more time after that. He called me, didn't leave a message. I called him back. He couldn't talk because his daughter was there with him. And then we didn't, we didn't talk again. My life kind of took off. I was, you know, bought a house, met my husband to be, we moved, we had kids. And, um, I did write him when I moved to Oregon and said, Hey, I've moved no response. And, and I kind of thought, okay, we're, we're done. And, um, I had my second son and he was born deaf and they're trying to figure out, you know, is it a genetic, um, component to this or, or why? Cause there can other things happen when you're born deaf. It could be also kidney issues and we're just trying to figure it out. And even though my half brother and I had not written each other, he hadn't written me we had connected on at the time MySpace. That's how long this goes back. <laughs> and uh, he and I said, "Oh, you know, I was, you know, disappointed." This was before I'd had my son. I was like, "I was disappointed that we didn't continue." And he's like, "I just felt really weird with my mom and my sisters not knowing." And I said, "You know what? I completely get that." And that was the only conversation we'd had. And then when I had my son, and we were kind of trying to figure out what this all was, I just I emailed or I messaged him, and I just said, "Hey, I've just." had my son and he's really healthy except he was born deaf is there any like deafness or hearing loss that runs in the family and he very one sentence no one in our family is handicapped and that was it and i was like you've now just turned the corner with me mm-hmm. like and, you know i was not thrilled as i came upon 50 i was like gosh you know it's been like 23 years I would sort of like to know my half sisters and, and I started, you know, listening to your podcast. Your podcast was the first one and it opened up a whole new world to me, like kind of validating my feelings and, and things that, that I was, you know, going through that, Oh, other adoptive people feel like this too. So I started, I started getting a little angry and I wrote him a note and I just said, Hey, you know, it's been 23 years since we met. Can you believe that? I'm wondering if you have told the girls about me yet, because how would I know? And I would really like to get to know my sisters if they want to get to know me. And this is not my secret to keep. Would you like to be the one to tell them? Not really expecting anything back. And I kind of put it aside in my head. And probably a week later, I get it. I since then become friends with 
my half brother on Facebook. We didn't really communicate, but he accepted my friendship. And he wrote me a scathing message, just horrible. I got it at work. I was, a friend of mine was standing next to me as it popped up and I was reading it and we were both in tears. It was just horrible. And, you know, he's like, I don't know why you're contacting him. You know, you will never be a part of our family. You will never be in our family photos. I was stunned considering I wrote like a four sentence note to my bio dad. Like I didn't think, first of all, I didn't write it to the bio brother because I don't want to put him in the middle of any of this. I wrote it directly to the person I needed to contact. And it took me about five days before I could respond to him. And I just said, listen, I didn't write to you. I wrote to Gordon because I'm not going to put you in the middle. That's not fair to you. And I said, and here's the deal. You're not upset with me. You're upset with him. And I'm going to tell you something. You're probably a little scared. I said, because when your sisters find out, and they will, you and your your brothers-in-law, I hope you can still run. Because if they're anything like me, you're going to need to run. Because the secret is going to be the problem. It's the secret that you all, the men in the family kept from them, that's going to be the problem. And I said, I don't understand the big deal. I thought it was just, you know, like a one-time thing. And that's what he thought too. He, he like at that point, like kind of changed. And he's like, I don't understand the big deal either. When were you born? Exactly. So what it comes down to is that his parents met the month I was conceived. Oh. And his parents married two, two months. I'm sorry. They got engaged two months later. Basically, Gordon proposed and the next morning found out that my bio mom was pregnant and he was a close friend of the family so there was discussion for about a week that he and my bio mom would get married that he realized that temperaments weren't going to go well in that situation so he basically stepped away and let her family deal with what was going to happen to me and by December of that year and bio mom was probably five months pregnant. He married this other person who he's still married to. Wow. So, you know, it's just a tangled web. Um, I said to my half brother, I've never, you know, I've never asked that your mom know. I said, you know, and you live through it. Why can't your sisters know? And he said, well, I would be okay with them knowing. And I said, you know, am am I a horrible person? Like, I don't understand the big deal here. And he goes, no, I really enjoyed seeing, you know, your family and the things you do on Facebook. And, you know, he's like, I know one day that, you know, at some point we'll be able to talk and I hope I can share you with my sisters at that point. I was just like, Oh brother, here we go. Controlling again. Right. In the end, his father did call me and he basically said, okay, it was more than a one-time thing. It happened multiple times. And I think there was some crossover and his wife would have a problem with that is what it comes down to. And now the lie has been going on for 53 years. He said that she would leave him. And I said, well, at this point, I think she knows who you are. Take that how you need to. So anyway, I have wanted, you know, as I've gotten older, some more medical information and I, I'm really into genealogy and I've traced my whole adoptive family's tree and my biological family's tree. Had a couple questions 
that I wanted him to answer, but I knew he probably wouldn't answer genealogical questions, Right. but he might answer health questions. So I wrote him another letter about a year ago and he actually called me and we had a nice conversation. He answered all my health questions, all my genealogical questions, and actually was like, oh, I might have some more information on that person. I'll call you back. And he did. So, you know, like he can give what he can give. And I know he's got some issues and it's fine. I did let him know on one of the phone calls that my DNA is out there. And he said, what do you mean your DNA is out there? He goes, do you mean my DNA? How did you get my DNA? And I said, well, Gordon, half of your DNA or half of my DNA is your DNA. And that he's like, you could just hear, you know, just dead silence. Like he had never thought about that. And I said, I'm getting connections all the time. And it, I said, I guarantee you within 10 years, they will know about me, if not sooner. And that's how we left that conversation. Mm. My gosh, what a, a roller coaster. Can I just ask quickly, what is the age yep. difference between yourself and your mm-hmm. closest paternal sibling? 10 months. So that's also a huge part of the problem, right? It's not just that there was an overlapping of your biological father dating two women at the same time, but he literally conceived two children pretty much at the same time as well, right? Well, he conceived my half-brother, I guess, about a month after I was born. Mm -hmm. So he was married by then, but yeah. Yeah. So unreal. But I got to go back. I I really Mm -hmm. like the fact that, and I know you were just hurt and probably pissed at the letter that you received from your brother, but it was so good that you didn't reply immediately that five days went by you had an opportunity to think and analyze and oh yeah questions sort of oh like, yeah where's he coming from with all of this anger from a four sentence email from me and i right. loved your reply too like listen my sense is you're scared like there's a lot going on here and then this isn't yeah. really about me it's about the situation and, and yeah it was really yeah. smart of you to to pause before you said something right that you would eventually regret and, and made right. a very thoughtful response is what it sounds like to me. Which I yeah, I rewrote it a few times, had a friend or two read it, you know. Um, but yeah, and I even, I said, you know what, if it's better for us not to be friends, like, let's just unfriend each other. And that and that's when he said back to me, no, 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 I like seeing your family and blah, blah, blah. And then uh, probably about seven or eight months later, he actually just unfriended me and blocked me like out of the blue, which was super interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And now this is like three years on, three and a half years on since that, that interaction. And I've got his first cousin as a match is on Ancestry. And I'm all over the place. I'm on Ancestry. I'm on 23andMe. I'm on Match. I'm on my heritage. Like you name it, I'm on it. And, and I pretty much know how everybody fits in. But I just email, hey, I see we're close matches. Would you like to figure out how, you know, we're related? And I, I tell the truth. I say, I, I know a lot of DNA history connections I've made through DNA, but I don't really know current um, generations. And then I throw out a couple names and then, then you can tell people get scared because then they stop responding. Debbie has made some great connections on her maternal side of the family. They know about her, and some of her cousins have been great connections to have during the pandemic. 
Debbie's met some other adoptees in the family, whom she's helped understand some of their connections, too. I would say, you know, again, the word is connections. And, and I kind of think that's the, the fiber of my story is like wanting connections and sometimes not getting it how you want it and accepting, being accepting of it, but then making other connections that are, that are quite lovely. So, you know, it's not an easy road, but if you just have an open mind, it's, it's a good road. I like that very much. Wow. Well, Debbie, I, I'm so impressed with your sort of, I can feel that you're the adult in the room in all of your different conversations, <laughs> right? It just, it shines yeah. through. And I think that's incredibly important yeah. for, you know, the adoptive person to sort of be in a place of maturity as they deal with yeah. the immaturity yeah. that comes with all of these people, finding all of these secrets and learning all of this stuff accidentally or whatever. And, and you sort of keeping the calm, cool head that allows you to you know, navigate the situation in a way that allows you to stay sane while the other people are going wild, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yep. Well, thank you so much for taking time to call me today, Debbie. It was really good to hear your yeah. story. And thanks for sharing for the benefit of other adopted people. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you. I know, you know, everybody says this, but really your podcast was the first adoptee related podcast I found. Wow probably like four, four and a half years ago. I think you had maybe 20 under your belt at that yeah, point. Really? That's so it's, it's really helped me process through so much and kind of being angry at a certain point. And now, you know, a few years later, just like settling in and it's like, okay, I understand there's like a bigger picture and it's, yeah. it's okay, but it's, it's so helpful. And, and I really, really appreciate it. And I appreciate that you're a guy doing this oh, and having that, point of view because there's so few out there my husband is adopted also oh really and yeah and um he actually has a child he put up for adoption also so we've welcomed her so i it's just i love your point of view and i love sharing it with him and helping him to you know connect with his feelings and and that well thank you so much for sharing those comments i really appreciate it i love to hear how the show has impacted somebody and, I, and you're mm-hmm. right, you go through these roller coasters of emotions. And I, and I also love that you're able to share it with him. He may not be ready to speak out, but if he's listening to you and you're listening to this, where other adoptees are sharing their stories, that's amazing. So thank you. Exactly. Yep. Debbie, yep. Here. It was really yep. good talking to you. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday. All the best, okay? Okay. Thank you, Damon. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, it's me. It was fascinating to hear that Debbie's parents adopted her only a few short months after their biological child passed away. It just seems like they didn't have enough time to grieve over their loss, and they tried to replace the child they lost with Debbie's adoption. But her mom was forever changed after their child's death, and Debbie wasn't able to connect with the woman the way she was with her adoptive father. It was nice to hear that Debbie had a reason to spend time in Kansas with her birth mother, but sad to learn that it was because her grandfather had passed away. When Debbie highlighted that the men in her paternal family knew about her, but the women didn't, I could feel the storm brewing for those guys getting in big trouble when the women in their lives found out the news. As a man, I can admit I've screwed up a thing or two, here and there, but I've never kept a secret as deleterious as having a daughter or sister. Debbie's right, when her father's secret is revealed, those guys are in serious trouble. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you've found something in Debbie's journey that inspired you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you 
to have the strength along your journey to learn. Who am I really? If you would like to share your adoption journey and your attempt to connect with your biological family, please visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can follow the show at facebook.com slash really. If the show is meaningful to you, you can support me with a contribution to keep it going on patreon.com slash really. Please subscribe to Who Am I Really on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. It would mean so much to me if you took a moment to leave a five-star rating there. Those ratings can help others to find the podcast too. And you can check out the story of my adoption journey, Who Am I Really? An Adoptee Memoir on Amazon.com. I hope you'll add my story to your reading list. Music